Well, we're back. Welcome back to Let's Open the Bible. It's Russ and Gavin. Hey, don't call it a comeback. You've got some explaining to do. Oh, I guess, we, yeah, we've, we've just been busy. Unfortunately, I've been sick, um, uh, planning on traveling to visit family that's not doing real well. Um, yeah, we've been juggling a lot of different things, me yeah. mostly. Yeah, juggling chainsaws. Yes. Well, and uh, so, listener, thanks for your patience with us. And I, I realize that it's uh, been inconsistent over the last uh, few months. And, uh, you know, life happens, right? So today we're going to pick up in John 6. I think the last episode we recorded was John 6, verse 63. We're actually going backwards. Uh, we're going to go back to John 6, verse 10, and just kind of walk through the feeding of the 5,000. And... uh and then we'll go from there. Uh, so you're feeling better, right, Gavin? A little. Yeah, you're Still not looking I, any better. No, <laughs> that's not going to change. Yeah. Probably oh. is going to get a lot worse pretty oh, quickly. You're stuck that way? Yes. Oh, didn't your mom ever tell you if you make that face, it'll stick? Yes, oh. it did. Yeah. It did. Well, she yeah. was a part of the process of making this face, so it's partly her fault. Is that what we call prophecy? She well, prophesied know. that your face would stay that way? No, well, sh- sure. Yeah. Yeah. No, yeah. I don't know. <laughs> All right. Well, uh, Gavin, how about bailing this out and you pray and then I'll read uh, John chapter six, verses 10 through 14. All right. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for this day. Thank you for uh, Russ and his wisdom. Thank you for the opportunity that we have to come uh, before people that are listening for your word and to read your word and to talk about your word a little bit and to grow in our knowledge of you and affection for you. Thank you for this day in Jesus name. Amen. Amen. So we, we pick up the account of the feeding of the 5,000 already in progress, um, you know, with the question that, um, you know, that was asked, how are we going to feed all these people? And we begin in verse 10, Jesus said, make the people sit down. Now there was much grass in the place. So the men sat down in number about 5,000. Jesus took the loaves and when he had given thanks, he distributed them to the disciples and the disciples to those sitting down and likewise to the fish as much as they wanted. So when they were filled, he said to his disciples, gather up the fragments that remain so that nothing is lost. Verse 13, therefore they gathered them up and filled 12 baskets with fragments of the five barley loaves, which were left over by those who had eaten. Then those men, when they had seen the sign that Jesus did, said, this is truly the prophet who is to come into the world. And of course we know that you know, it was five barley loaves. It was uh, two small fish. He's fed 5,000 men, not including women and children. I've heard uh, estimates um, as many as 15,000, you know, just just based on, uh, you know, every man being, uh, having a wife and two children, I guess, is, is or at least a child. And uh, whatever the case, we would call that a miracle. It is a miracle. Yeah. And, and I try to make a distinction between miracles and, and just uh, provisions of God. Everything, we are to give thanks for everything, right? Every good and perfect gift is from God. But like we've had people say about our outreach program, our food pantry uh, giveaway program, that, you know, it's a miracle that we haven't run out of food. Well, a miracle would be if you count every piece of food going in and you count every piece of food going out, the food going out is far, far more than any amount of food going in. That would be a miracle. How did that food get there? It's a, you know, it's a miracle of God. It breaks the laws of physics, logic, and reason. I mean, 
um, not the laws of logic, because a miracle does not break the laws of logic. God acting in a uh, in a particular way in a particular place does not break the laws of, of logic. God, the the omnipotent one, can do that without breaking the laws of logic. But it does it does uh, change things right in a way that is not uh, of the norm. It is supernatural. All right. If we would have far more, more food coming out than going in, we, that's a miracle of God. If we have the exact same amount of food going in and coming out, that's not a miracle, that's a provision. And we still thank God for it, but we want to be clear in our categories. Yeah, miracles are offensive. They offend our sense of reason. So well, go ahead. I, I, I want to come back to that because you know I've been corrected on this. It is not unreasonable to think that the one who spoke and— Everything came into existence ex nihilo from nothing. It is not unreasonable. It does not break logic to say that he can act in a particular way um, that is supernatural, that is not the natural way things are done. That's not unreasonable. That's very reasonable. So um, because there is a God, I almost said if there is, because there is a God, these things are not unreasonable. Of course they would happen. You have to believe Genesis 1-1. Right to accept yes. the possibility of a miracle. The reasonable possibility right. of a miracle. If Genesis 1-1 is true, then it is entirely reasonable for this miracle to take place. And foolish to believe that it couldn't. Otherwise, yes. It's unreasonable to think that it couldn't. And the reason why it's offensive is because to, to those who find miracles offensive, uh, they are those who refuse to believe in God or in a God. Right. And and also it is not the norm. And and we come yeah. to very much expect things to be done in the normal way. We expect the sun to to not go backwards up steps or you know something like we expect these things to happen, but God can act in opposition to that. And it's interesting how believers respond to some miracles. Um, we, and, and this is very biblical. God often gives ways that things could be explained apart from his hand, um, so much so that he has get Gideon, uh, whittle down his army. I mean, to, to, to lessen the army so that nobody could say, well, it was the ar- big army that did this because there are always alternative explanations to what God does supernaturally. You can try to define it naturally. And that's what even some believers try to do. No, that wasn't a miracle that we just witnessed. That was, there's a natural reason for that. Well, in many cases there is, and in some cases there is absolutely not. And, and it is not, it's foolish to believe that God couldn't do a miracle. We need to understand that miracles happen. They are very much outside the norm. Even today, miracles are not just the, 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 the look at the disciples. They expected to have to provide food by natural means, even when they're walking with Jesus, the the miracle worker. You know what I'm saying? Because that's how things are naturally done. Even when Jesus is with them, food doesn't just show up miraculously every day. That's not the norm, even when Jesus is there. So, yeah, these are the same guys that, uh, you know, at least some of which were eyewitnesses to the water that he, that became wine. Right. You know, among, among other things. And yet, uh, because of the uh, uniqueness, right? You know, it, it's hard to grasp, uh, even for those that were walking with him. I think part of the issue people have, Gavin, with um, that find this offensive is, if there is a God, that means that they are accountable. There, there's some accountability, um, and and the fact of the matter is, some people 
refuse to acknowledge their sinfulness. I would say that is a way or a reason that people resist miracles. It's a reason that people resist, uh, you know, young earth creation. It's a reason that people resist, um, you know, the gospel and every other thing that, that is about God so that they don't have to deal with them and they're free to do as they want, right. um, which, which they don't understand is devastating and joy robbing. But, but I think there are other reasons people don't accept miracles. Um, you, you know, the, the, the word miracle has been abused, oh, yeah. um, not Absolutely. only by assigning, uh, the word miracle to that, which is not a miracle. It's just a provision, but also people that have been tricked. I mean, there are many times that, that people claim a miracle only to find out later that it was a trick. Yeah. And I am one that believes in miracles. Yeah. Yeah. I, I actually, um, I, I was a party to something like that inadvertently. Okay. Uh, I was at a church service one night where uh, there was a musical group uh, that had come, and, and one of the singers was dealing with some kind of, I, I forget now, it, time robs me of, of good clarity on rec recalling this, but it was either some kind of throat cancer, he had some kind of throat issue. And so um, the church, we, we gathered around, we, we had the, the group in the middle, and the church lined up around the walls of the church and, and prayed for this fella. And um, so, so afterwards, you know, he, he talked about how, you know, he, he felt better, he felt changed, and all these other things. And I, I truly thought I had witnessed uh, something special, something unique, some, uh, a miracle, you know. And I had re relayed that to some other people because that's what I thought I had witnessed. It was years later that, that one of the people that I know that was there that night told me, yeah, no, um, that's not what you witnessed. Um, talking to that guy later, uh, he wasn't healed. And, uh, yeah. you know, so I was actually one that propagated some, some of what you're describing where uh, there are false testimonies or testimonies of not of false healings or whatever. Right. Yeah. So, so I've heard an interesting one lately and this is secondhand, but it is second, it is, you know, on a, another podcast about a woman that, um, had a, an incurable disease and they, they brought her around and prayed for her and, and in the midst of it. Uh, one of the gentlemen said, Hey, I, I'm, I, I, I am understanding. It's, it's been revealed to me that you have some unconfessed sin of, I think it was resentment towards a particular person named the person I think, and said that you need to let that go. And, and so in that moment, she let it go. Uh, this is the, according to the testimony. I don't want to be a part of passing on total lies. You, you can, you can test this. You can uh, seek it out. It is, it, it is on the internet by a fairly reliable source, but so, uh, and the, and the lady was healed. And so she went away and, and, uh, and this, this podcaster said that a couple years later they were in the town that they knew that she was in. And, and so, you know, they, I guess there was a group of them that had witnessed this quote unquote miracle and they called her up and just said, Hey, we're in town. If, if, if we just wanted to find out how you're doing. And she said, well, let's come back. Hmm. And so they didn't know what to do. They called, they, they called, this Christian leader that, that was very much about healing and praying for healing and expecting healing. And they prayed for, uh, and, and they called him up and he said, he said, Oh, no worries. She, she's let that sin come back into her life. And so prayed about it, confessed the sin. And, and I guess to this day has been healed from that incurable disease. Hmm. So 
I don't know what to do with that. I, I, I don't want to just dismiss it as, oh, forget that. It can't happen. Because I don't want to be one that doesn't believe that miracle, that God still can and does do miracles. They're just really rare. And again, they're often abused, either claiming that which is a, a provision is a miracle when it's just a provision, not a miracle, or, right. you know, it's, oh, it's a miracle. And it wasn't. It was not a miracle. It was not an act of God. It was nothing. It was either deceit or, uh, you know, you're either deceiving or being deceived. Right. And, and both happen. And and I mentioned when I did, I was started going down the the trail that I did about appealing to uh, or offending someone's sense of reason. Uh, Sunday I'd preach from from another ask, uh, part of John chapter six, and I you know where the people walked away, and you know the reality is not everybody uh, who follows Christ is a believer. They don't believe he is who he said he was. Right. And um, and so I referenced the uh, Jefferson Bible. I'm sure you're familiar with the Jefferson Bible. Yes, the cut-up Bible, because it's got to be n- nothing supernatural, right? He's a deistic. Uh, Jefferson is a deist. Right. And so he believed God spun the world and got out of the way. Yep. yep. And, and so the miracles of Jesus offended his sense of reason, because he didn't believe Jesus was who he said he was. And so what he ends up with is a book of morality, no different than, say, um, um, you know, what the Buddhists believe. Sure. And, and, uh, uh, but it's because he doesn't believe Jesus who said that he was the son of God. He didn't believe that. Well, that's why we shouldn't walk alone. Every one of us has areas, whether it's mor- the miraculous, whether it's the, um, whether it's the normal, whether it's the, the commands of scripture, whether it's, I, I, whether it's that you have been forgiven. I mean, truly forgiven, forgiven of all the death. He died. He died to sin once for all. I mean, you, your sin, past, present, future, you have been forgiven of in Christ. Maybe that's what you're struggling to believe. Every last one of us has areas of, of scripture that we struggle to believe. Or I believe that if we believe scripture perfectly, we would be sinless and not one of us is. Those areas of disbelief are areas of, of, uh, of sin. Part of my burden is, is that, um, I just sense that there's a far greater portion of many, um, churches have people that don't believe Jesus is who he said he was in the church. You know, they're, they're, maybe they're agnostic or whatever. Good folks. I mean, they're not like robbing banks and killing people. They're just lost. And, um, and, and so, that, that concerns me. Okay, two things that I would I want to press back on. Um, if they're lost, they can't be good people. So we got to talk about that. Um, and, and then the other one is, so there are things every, I just said, there are things about God, scripture, the Bible, the Godhead, God, the Father, God, the Son, God, the Holy Spirit, that that every last one of us does not believe, or we would be sinless, I believe. So, yeah, so I, but you're talking salvific. Me. Right. You're talking, there are, there are things that they don't believe about Jesus that means that they cannot be saved. Right. Wow. Yes. And I agree with you. That that happens in church, and it is a job of a pastor and a, uh, of the congregation to lovingly seek those areas out and say, if you believe what you just said, you believe you cannot possibly be saved because you have just rejected the euangelion, the the good news, the gospel, the evangel. Yeah. Okay. But then the other one is apart from Christ, uh, you know that that which does not proceed from faith is sin. Our righteousness is counted as filthy rags before God if, if not when we're not in Christ because. The motives are wrong. They come from a place of of unregenerate wickedness, hostility towards God. You know, if you live by the flesh, you will die because those things done in the flesh are hostile towards God. For we, it does not submit to God's law, and indeed it cannot. That's Romans eight. I mean, I, I've jumped all around in Romans eight right there. It wasn't a uh, that was not a consistent verse, but but it's Romans eight in general. That mindset on the flesh is hostile towards God, for it does not submit to God's law, and indeed it cannot. 
So what motivates an unregenerate person to be quote unquote good, not robbing banks? Well, it still comes from a place of selfishness. The cost is too great to rob a bank, whether it's you don't want to do jail time or you don't feel, you feel guilty, some, some sort of worldly guilt, some type of breaching the conscience that was shaped by your mama, not by the word of God and the spirit of God at work in you. Right. That you just don't want to rob a bank. You weren't it, raised to, to be this way. Right. Well, and, and, and the unregenerate person, only, well, we all only ever do what we want to do, but when the spirit of God is not working in you, you still, it only comes from a place of selfishness. It only comes from, so there's something in yourself that is hindering you from robbing a bank. Because if the, if the desire and temptation got great enough, you would rob the bank, period. All right. Do you find any symbolism in, uh, in the number 5,000 or in the, in the tall grass, uh, any of that? Do you see any, anything that points us to the Old Testament? There are, there or are maybe that the Old Testament points forward to to this. Well, there you go. You should, you, you're you're going to tell us in a second. I, I tend to stay away from numerology, though I do believe every jot and tittle of Scripture is inspired. And because God continues to recapitulate the gospel, which is to to go over the highlights of the gospel over and over and over and over in Scripture, um, I, I think the Old Testament clearly and obviously and often points to the New Testament and the gospel of Jesus Christ. So... I have no doubt that numbers are involved. I just don't spend a lot of time with numbers. Yeah, I, I'm not okay. a numerology guy. I thought the first thing that jumped out to me when we uh, were reading this or when I was reading um, the passage was Psalm 23. Okay. You know, where the shepherd uh, makes the, the sheep lie down in green pastures and then, of course, towards the end, uh, talks about a, a banquet. You prepare a table before me in the presence of mine enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup runs over. You're very familiar with this. Yeah, and presumably uh, our listeners are as well, yeah, yeah. though not necessarily. And so when when uh, Jesus said, make the people sit down, uh, now there was much grass in the place. You know, that's the first thing my mind went. I said, wow, that sounds a lot like Psalm, uh, Psalm 23. Right. So um, I, I love that... Uh, um, lifting up his eyes then and seeing that a large crowd was coming toward him, Jesus said to Philip, where are we to buy bread so that these people may eat, right? And we know that Jesus knows the answer. Yeah. So, and it even says so in the text. He said this to test him for he himself knew what he was, you know, was going to do. Mm -hmm. He knew what he would do. So then he has them sit down. He doesn't even correct their unbelief. He doesn't just say, hey, how dare you not believe that I can provide or how? Because again, they're- Do you they're, know who I am? Yeah, yeah. He doesn't, <laughs> hey, yeah, do you know who you- uh, but, but again, they, they naturally, Jesus didn't just do this every meal. Right. It wasn't like sit down because I'm going to you know, provide a meal for as much as you want. It, normally, they had to provide. They had to go and buy it. They had to prepare it. They had to set the tables and everything else. But he just says, hey, go sit down. And he's, this is a, I think that's a perfect allusion in, in Psalm 23 which is about the suffering servant or, or the shepherd, the good shepherd. Yeah, the good sorry, shepherd. The good he shepherd. is the good shepherd. He is the good shepherd. Yeah. And he is going to provide, and he's going to provide abundantly in John 6. Mm. Sorry. No, I th just it, it just clicked. You know, when, when I was reading through that, yeah. it just jumped out of the out of the, the pages here. And then the green um, is, uh, it me I guess it means that it was of, in the springtime of the year, and you're supposed to get the, the, the lushness of it, the Again, the provision, the shepherd leading his sheep into the green pastures. Yeah. All right. And then sit down is a place where you're not doing anything. You're receiving. So the, the disciples consistently, regularly, normally had to go get food. And he says, no, nope, have them sit. Mm -hmm. We're going to provide. I'm going to provide. Yeah, well, and so, but it's interesting at the, the uh, account in John 4, 
the woman at the well, they did have to leave to go get food. Right. Um, and so, yeah, there's a perfect example of a time when they, they did have to go and prepare. They had to get, and here they didn't. And he's going to offer her the living water, and he's going to offer them the bread of life. Yeah. And, and I love the idea that, you know, Jesus, all of the tabernacle elements and the tabernacle itself and the way that it was set up and the priests outside and everything about the tabernacle pointed to Jesus. And you get the table of showbread that, that and, and we understand Jesus to be the bread of life born in Bethlehem, the house of bread. Yeah. So. Yeah, Isn't that cool? It, yeah. Oh, again, it's called the recapitulation of the gospel. He, it's the capitals, the recapitalizing, the the, it, the highlights of the gospel are recapitulated, retold over and over and over again, and and the book of Hebrews makes it acceptable. At least the book of Hebrews, but Jesus Himself says, you know, all of that spoke of me. Right. But the the the, uh, the book of Hebrews shows how those elements and those. Um, Old Testament types and shadows all pointed to Jesus, the actual, the actual temple, yeah, the true temple. Yeah, and, and actually on Wednesday nights I've been going through Exodus, and so we just we're in the uh, the wilderness aspect uh, before they get the promised land, before they really get stupid, uh, you know. And <laughs> no, they've but, always been stupid. I, I know we have. Yeah, yeah. Well, I we've have. been hit with a stupid stick a hundred times. Yeah, but but you know with the manna. And, you know, and how that points forward, you know, Jesus talks about that also, that he, uh, he is better than the manna that the fathers ate and who have died, this, this bread you will eat and never die, you know, and all of that. And, and so it's just interesting how, like you said, everything is pointing forward to Christ. And it's, I think so often um, we, if we're not careful, we lose sight of that when we're reading the Old Testament. We don't ask the question, how does this point to Christ? Right. Well, isn't it Spurgeon, and I'm going to grossly and probably wrongly paraphrase this, but wasn't it Spurgeon that said, when I preach, I uh, dig a trough straightway to the cr- cross and preach Christ and him crucified? Yeah. Like, so, so when you go to the Old Testament, yes, there, there is a meaning, a, an, an application, a, a, a direct meaning to what we're reading in the Old Testament. It means something in the Old Testament. To, to those people at that time. Historically, yeah. yes. Historically and in terms of application, it was meaningful in the Old Testament time and is meaningful to us today in, in understanding it, like David and Goliath. It is meaningful for us to understand that a younger man went out and fought a massive giant of a man and, and brought him down, but even that points to Christ. So yes, it was a, a, an historical event, happened and yes there are benefits for us reading it and understanding it in 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 its application in the day that it happened but also understand it pointing to Christ Jesus the one who goes and uh and slayed the slayed sin and death yeah. and was victorious for us in that by faith yes i mean he never wavered Right. The size of the enemy did not cause him to question anything. The greater enemy. So Goliath is the lesser enemy, sin, death, and the devil himself. Yeah. yeah. Gavin, this seems like a good place to press pause. We sure. can uh, pick back up, uh, I think, uh, at uh, verse 11. Uh, listener, thanks again for bearing with us. We look forward to catching up with you on the next episode. Until then, be blessed.